Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. ages when dinosaurs roamed the earth, uh, we watched everything in black and white, and we took pictures in black and white. That's the way it was. Color back in those days, uh, really, it wasn't that long ago, but it was really a long time ago. Um, Color back in those days was very expensive, very complicated. You usually went to a professional to have your picture made back in those days, and uh, you know, it's just the way it was until 1961. In 1961, an amazing thing happened in the United States of America. Walt Disney, on Sunday night, started showing Walt Disney's wonderful world of color. And when he put that program on television, broadcast in color, it started a revolution of everybody wanting color televisions. Everybody in the whole world started wanting to see Walt Disney's wonderful world of color in color. That's a pretty cool thing. I was amazed when I was a kid at the detail that you could see when it went from being black and white to in color. Start seeing all kinds of things. The reason I'm telling you that is because this story we have heard, if you've been in the church, you have heard this story a bajillion times or maybe a bajillion and two times, and we've seen it in black and white. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's just, here's the little story, you've heard it, and then you start digging into this thing, and you see all of this detail, and this is, it's crazy good, at least it's crazy good for me, and I hope it's crazy good for you this morning. It's the fifth chapter of Daniel is where we're going to be, fifth chapter of Daniel, but let's go to God in prayer right quick before we go. Father, as excited as I am about this text, I pray, Lord, that I don't get in the way of it and that nothing in this room gets in the way of it and no thought gets in the way of it from any of us, that today, Lord, we want to hear from Jesus and Jesus only. Lord, there are things in here that we're, some of us are going to lean back and go, ah, Lord, let your truth touch our hearts. Let us all hear your words. We want to know Jesus. We want to know nothing but Jesus. Help us in this hour, Lord. Your Holy Spirit, you told us, would minister Jesus to us. Please, Holy Spirit, teach us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've ever been in a children's Bible class, you've heard this story. It's one of the old-time favorites. In a nutshell, what the story is all about is this king, Belshazzar, has a drunken party. He blasphemes against the Holy Spirit of God. A disembodied hand appears, writes four words on the wall, mini, mini, tackle, parson. Everybody in the room, now here's the deal right off the bat, because we think because he called, because he had to call Daniel in that nobody could read the words, but that's not true. Everybody could read those words. Those words weren't in some Language that needed revelation, and the words were very very clear. The meaning is what was lost. 
many, many tackle parson, and it scared the living stew out of the king. Eventually, Daniel is called in. He interprets the dream. The king rewards Daniel. But that very night, the king is killed, and Darius the Mede becomes the ruler over Babylon. It's black and, light, black and white version. There's the story in a nutshell. Your kids have heard it in Sunday school. You've heard it in Sunday school. If you've ever been to Sunday school, you know, you know the story. But there is so much more to the story. And I've, if you are a history buff, especially... Some of this stuff is going to turn you on a little bit because this is, I mean, it's, it's, okay, so let's stop. Let's just tell the story. We know exactly when this, this occurred. We know the exact date that this story happened. October the 11th of 539 B.C. October the 11th, 539 B.C. is when this fifth chapter of Daniel occurred. Greek historians Xenophon and Herodotus tell us this. They use their calendar system to say it, but then, you know, we can translate all of that into what our day it was. And the reason we know is because this is a huge day in the history of the world. This isn't just a story in the Bible. This is a turning point between nations and rulers and superpowers of the world occurred in the fifth chapter of Daniel. Between chapter Four and between chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar has died. 30 years have passed. Between chapter 4 and chapter 5, 30 years have gone on. And, and time's passed. Nebuchadnezzar's dead, buried. Daniel has spent the majority of his life in Babylonian captivity. Taken from his home probably when he was a teenager. Daniel is now approaching 60 years old in this story. None of the Babylonian kings after, after Nebuchadnezzar were much of a king at all. They didn't have the tactical skills. They didn't have the people's skills. They didn't have the philosophy that Nebuchadnezzar had. Other kingdoms started attacking Babylon, started whittling away at the kingdom. And on October 11th, 539 B.C., Darius the Medes' army had Babylon surrounded. Now think about what we're talking about. The king is going to throw this gigantic party, has a thousand people coming to it, while his city is surrounded on all sides by a foreign army. Belshazzar's not worried, or we think that probably Belshazzar's just trying to let everybody know, I'm not worried, this is cool, we got this thing, there's nothing to worry about. You see, the walls of our city are 25 feet thick. The walls of our city are 40 feet tall. The Euphrates River, we built the walls of our city so that the Euphrates River could flow under the wall. We've got all the fresh water in the world. We've saved up food. We've got two years, use of, two years worth of food stored inside our city right now. There's not, a, there's not an army alive that can lay siege to us for two years, it's not a possibility. We are totally, totally, totally safe. What he didn't know is that Darius the Mede, that's the, the conquering king here, has had his guys digging a trench from, this is cool, digging a trench from the Euphrates River to this lowland that's just a little marshy area with a whole thought that what he would do is lower the level of the Euphrates River and go under that wall. And that very day is the day that they breached that last little bit of land and the Euphrates started splitting 
going to its normal path, so they still see water, but starting to go down this other path into this low-lying area. The water started going lower and lower and lower under the wall until the army of Darius the Mede could start marching through. On the evening of October the 11th, Darius's army started slipping under the gate, uh, slipping under the wall into the city, into the city of Babylon. They didn't get any resistance because the people of Babylon didn't like Belshazzar. So when they saw this invading army in here, they were sort of cool with it because they knew that Darius was a better ruler than what Belshazzar was. As the army makes its way through the city, Belshazzar is having this dynamite party. Now, I wanted you to see the tension that's in the air there. Here we go. We're going to do the scripture, verse at a time. Starting with chapter 5, verse 1, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, whom, uh, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple and the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. When you read this story, you savor, if you, if you were an English person, you like literature, you like reading it all, you savor the words of this because there's, they are, the words that Daniel uses are, are, are specific to make this one point. First we've ever heard of Belshazzar. In all the book of Daniel, it's the first time we've heard about him. And the first thing we hear about him, the first thing Daniel says is that he drank wine in front of a thousand people. And then he said when he tasted the wine. When he tasted the wine is a way of saying that he had drank enough, he started to feel pretty good. That's the whole point right here. The first thing we learn about Belshazzar is that he is an imprudent person. This isn't a statement about alcohol. It's a statement about the imprudence of this king. Everybody knows, everybody knows and has known throughout all of the ages that when you drink alcohol, it lowers your inhibitions and it allows those demons that you keep in control of your life, it allows those demons to start slipping out. People like to have a couple of drinks before they dance because then they quit thinking that they're going to look like a white boy dancing and they just get out of the dance floor and do their thing and they don't think about it one little bit because their inhibitions have been lowered because they drank. Everybody knows this. And if you don't, you learn the lesson. There was a young woman. She's on the book tour right this minute. Her name is Madeline Westerout. You may have heard of her. She wrote a book called Off the Record, My Dream Job at the White House, How I Lost It and What I Learned by It. She lost her job by being imprudent. She went out for drinks with reporters like they do in Washington, D.C. It was supposed to be an off-the-record event. We're just going to sit around, have a few drinks. We're going to talk for a few minutes. And what happens is she gets a few drinks in her. She starts sort of feeling herself a little bit. And she works in the White House. And she's kind of important. So she starts spilling her guts to this reporter who goes and tells people what she said. And the next thing she knows, she's gotten fired from her dream job. She was imprudent, and it cost her. The neat thing about listening to her when she's being interviewed is she says this. She says, I'm not blaming it on the alcohol. It was me. 
I did this. I should have never put myself in that position. I should have known better. Why? Because everybody from the beginning of time knows that when you drink, it lowers your inhibitions, and you end up doing and saying things sometimes that you don't want to do and say that come back and bite you. The first thing we learn from Belshazzar is that doesn't matter to him. In front of a thousand people, he's drinking, and he's pretty well lit at this point. He was imprudent. The more he drank, the more he started thinking that he was the man, and that's when Belshazzar blasphemed God. Now, we need to talk about blasphemy for just a minute. It's not a word that we use anymore. It's kind of arcane. It's kind of an archaic word. To blaspheme God means that you talk about God. Now listen, y'all need to understand this because this was kind of convicting to me. We talk about God or the things of God in a frivolous, profane way. We use or talk about holy things or things that are dedicated to be holy in an unholy way. Now Nebuchadnezzar, when he was king, had captured Jerusalem and had taken all of the things of God out of the temple and put them into his temple so that everybody could see that that this God was subservient to his God. That's what he wanted to say. They were never meant, these things were never meant for common usage. They were always meant for worship of the Lord. They were never meant to be used as a part of a drunken orgy. You don't miss this. Belshazzar did a lot of things that night that were wrong. When you read through this, there's a lot he could be condemned of. But the thing that cost him his kingdom, the sin that God would not tolerate, was the king's blasphemy. The last straw for Belshazzar was blasphemy. Look at verses 5 through 9. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed. And his lords were perplexed immediately, he says. What scholars believe is that Belshazzar was surrounded by this army and he was trying to tell everybody, we're fine. There's nothing to worry about here. So he brings in all of the captured loot that Nebuchadnezzar had used over all these years to prove to him this God is nothing. This God is nothing. This God is nothing. Then when he gets to Jehovah's stuff and brings it in in order to say this God is nothing, immediately, the scripture says, immediately, the minute he brought out God's vessels, things came to a grinding stop. Now, I want you to see the, get the picture in your head of this place. Archaeologists have found this room. They are all 99% certain that they have found the palace in Babylon and they have found the very room that this story takes place in. 
On one side of the wall, they, they know that they whitewash their walls. So they're, all of the walls are white. And on one side of this room is just this white blank wall. And on the other side of the room is where they had the lampstands. So what happens is, is you've got all of this light, like a spotlight, going on this wall on the other side. That's, they're sitting there, they're partying, and that's what this room looks like. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this hand appears. Unembodied hand. It's unmistakable. It's illuminated. It's in the spotlight. It's writing on the wall. Everybody in the room saw it and was terrified. If that happened in this room right this minute, what would y'all do? <laughs> y'all going to sit there like Baptists? I don't think so. We'd have a Pentecostal revival. Y'all would start flying toward the bat. People would start screaming and shouting and moving and, and going and, and energy would be here. All kinds of things would be going on here to get away. That's what happened there. All of these people that are laying around drunk and carousing and doing all the stuff that they were doing, in that moment, all of a sudden, they saw that, screams, shouts, running back, get away from that as far and as fast as it could. It scared Belshazzar so bad that his knees knocked. And if you're reading the Christian Standard Version of the Bible, it says that he lost control of his bowels, is what it says. He sobered up pretty doggone quick. He yelled for his enchanters, his Chaldeans, his astrologers to come in and interpret what was written. But what was written didn't make any sense. What was written on the wall was numbers, numbers, weights, division. I can see it. Numbers, numbers, weights, division. It didn't make sense. What does it mean? Verses 10 through 12. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let, your, let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There's a man or your color change. Y'all realize that means that he was, he's Middle Eastern, so he's got color skin, not white, but you know that when this happened, all of his color was just drained out of his face. He was terrified. He went like a ghost. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. The king Nebuchadnezzar, and king Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. The queen mother hears the pandemonium and she comes into the room. The queen mother was not his wife. Queen mother was probably one of Nebuchadnezzar's wives from way back when. Now, they, we talk about, if, we, and, and if, if that had been me in this time, we would have said my grandfather Nebuchadnezzar. They don't think that way. Anybody in your lineage is your father. You go back. So she would have said your father, Nebuchadnezzar, even though we would say, well, it's grandfather. It doesn't matter. It was his father. We know it wasn't his wife. All of his wives were in the room. She was probably the grandmother. She wasn't in the room because she was not amused by the way her grandchild was acting. Anybody ever seen that before in a family? Anybody you know? They're just not amused by the way the grandkids are acting. 
She tells him about Daniel and she says that in the days of your father, your father, your father, the king, she's chiding her grandson. She's saying if you had listened to your grandfather, if you had his understanding and wisdom, you would know this on your own without me having to tell you. But you're too stubborn, you're unteachable, you're too imprudent, so let me help you right quick. You call Daniel, he'll show you the interpretation. That's what grandma, grandma is scolding him in front of a thousand people. Grandma is letting her grandchild have it right there in front of everybody. I'm not going to read 13 through 16. Interesting things in there, but just Daniel comes in and the king says some things. And then he says, listen, you'll be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom if you can do this for me. Verse 17 says, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for you, good grief, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I am reading this, reading, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Now, I'm going to tell you something now that I'm probably wrong about. Just want you to know up front. So why are you telling me? Because it won't go away. I'm going to tell you. There are the, the commentators all agree, every one of them agree, that the reason Daniel said what he said was he was telling the king, listen, dude, you pay me, don't pay me, it don't matter to me. I could care less whether I get paid. You're going to get the same interpretation no matter what. The word of God cannot be bought, period. This is where Randy said something that the other commentators didn't. When I read this, I hear a lot of snark and a lot of disdain in Daniel's words. I don't hear Daniel reading this flat. I hear Daniel, I hear Daniel saying, listen, what you're doing here makes me sick. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to be near you. I don't want to be near what's going on in this, wrong, in this room. The sin and the decadence in that room was palpable, and he loathes it. I don't want any part of you. I don't know about you guys. Let me tell you how I've reacted before, but I have a feeling that you've reacted the same kind of way. You find yourself, whether you did it on purpose or you do it by accident, you find yourself in a place that is just as ungodly and as sinful as it can possibly be. And you, once you realize what's going on around you, it kind of makes you sick. What has happened to me in the past is I get in that situation and I feel like I want to run out of the room. I don't belong here. This is not my place. This is not God's stuff. I don't know if it's ever happened to you before. I've been there once or twice in my life where there, I mean, there is a sense in my whole body that says, you need to go home. This ain't yours. Get out of here. I believe that's kind of what Daniel was feeling that minute as he walked into that room. Now, like I said, I'm the only person that said that, so don't quote it as being correctly, as being correct. That's just what Randy reads when he sees this, just by the way the words were written. In the next four verses, Daniel reminds the king about his granddaddy. He tells him what God did to humble him and make him into a believer. So now Daniel is scolding him. Daniel's essentially saying, you knew all this. You knew all of this. This really is kind of, a, I hadn't think about it until this moment, but this really is kind of a, a word to younger people as well to pay attention. Your, your parents and grandparents aren't totally stupid. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's true. They're not totally ridiculous. You need to pay a little bit of attention to them every now and then. You will find out later they were smarter than you thought they were. You will, I promise. I was in my 30s before I found out that my daddy was really a very smart man. Took me a long time. Up until my 30s, I thought dad was about half whack. But when I hit 30s, suddenly I realized daddy and mama had some sense. This kind of fits in there. Just That's 50 cent extra there. So, verses 22 through 24. Now I want you to listen to this. 22 through 24. Listen to it close and listen for one word. Listen for one word that's going to be said over and over and over again. 22 through 24. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or do not hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. What did you hear over and over again? You. 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 What Daniel wanted to help him understand was, you can't blame this on anybody. You can't blame your wrongdoing on anybody. You can't blame this hand writing on the wall on anybody. It belongs totally and completely to you. The main indictment is this, but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you have lifted yourself against the Lord of heaven. There's a verse that we quote to parents that have wayward children. We always want to comfort them. We go to Proverbs 22 and we say, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he's not depart from it. Y'all heard that one, right? Train up a child in the way he's gold. Even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Robbie Zacharias says that can be translated in, from Hebrew just a little bit differently. And I like how Robbie did it. He said, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, it will not depart from him. It's not that he won't depart from the truth. Is that if he continues on the path that he's on, the truth will always keep coming back. It will keep coming back. It will never go away. The child will always know that this is the truth. No matter how far they stray, no matter how far they go, the truth will always come back. What we're seeing here in this story is an example of this. Belshazzar was trained up to have light and understanding and wisdom, but Belshazzar was unteachable. He thought, I'm the son of a king. He's the, I'm the smartest man in the room. I'm the richest. I'm the coolest. I'm the most powerful. Worlds tremble at my words. But the queen mother and Daniel reminded Belshazzar of the truth in front of thousands of people with numbers, numbers, weights, division on the wall. I don't know about y'all, just another little quick aside. I pray regularly, Lord, don't let me embarrass myself in front of the congregation. Because it's one thing to embarrass yourself in front of your husband or your wife or a friend. But to stand up in front of a hundred people and do something ridiculous is another thing. He did it in front of a thousand people. He's standing there in front of all of them. 
verses 24 through 31. And then from his presence, the hand was sent. And this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, many, many, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, the God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be a third ruler of the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Numbers, numbers, it said. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Waits, your life, listen, this applies to us. Your life has been weighed in the balance with God. And you have been found wanting. God does this to everybody. Your life has been weighed in the balance. And you've been found wanting. Division. Your kingdom is divided between the Medes and the Persians. In front of a thousand people, Daniel drops the mic and he walks away. Your kingdom is over. You're done. You're toast. It's finished. The king kept his word. He clothed Daniel with a purple robe, put a gold chain around his neck, made him the third ruler over the nation, just as he promised. And with the luck that I would have, he was the ruler for about eight hours. At the end of eight hours, the army of Mede, of uh, Darius the Mede, slipped in and took care of him. Party broke up. Everybody went to their home, terrified, perplexed, worried. That party didn't end right. Sort of like when we leave a party and we talk to our spouse or our date, and we say, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to go back to one of their parties again. That was just weird. I can imagine everybody was doing that. In the darkness, the Medean army crept through the streets toward the palace. Midnight came and went. In the early morning hours of October the 12th, 539 B.C., Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed by Darius the Mede in the great kingdom of Babylon that had ruled the world as they know it had come to an end. The prophecies of Daniel chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 44, and Isaiah 45 were fulfilled because of five words. God will not be mocked. Our world's full of blasphemy. Not many people use that word anymore. It is arcane. It is archaic. It is uneducated. Unlightened and ignorant people talk about blaspheming a God that you can't see and can't hear. In the enlightened United States of America, someone puts a cross in a cup of urine. That's blasphemy. But we called it art. And if that was the worst, maybe it would be okay. But you know, just recently in the news, in the chop zone in Seattle, Washington, a street preacher was beaten. I went to Google to look it up to see if I was remembering it right, and I found out that he wasn't the only one that's been beaten in the United States recently. 
In Portland, Oregon recently, when they were burning the American flag, they tossed in a couple of Bibles just for good measure. That is blasphemy. Over the last decade in the United States, the Muslim religion has been promoted more and more. Joe Biden said, I wish we taught more in our schools about the Islamic faith. Christianity is now a religion among religions. Jehovah is a God among gods. There are many ways to get to heaven, we are told. Our Lord is simply one of them. That is blasphemy. It's blasphemy to say that there are 58 gender options to choose from. The scripture says, and I know that I'm out of step with the times, but the scripture says that God created us in his holy image, male and female. It is blasphemy to say that marriage can be between anyone other than a man and a woman. Again, God said, then let the Lord God said, it is not good for a man that he should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's blasphemy to abort babies from their mother's womb. In a draft copy of the 2020 Democratic National Platform, you can read Democrats believe that, this is a quote, that every woman should be able to access high-quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. Pastor, you're preaching politics. No, I am telling you, that is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. It's blasphemy to destroy a baby that's created in the image of God. It's blasphemy to burn churches. It's blasphemy to desecrate desecrate images that remind us of Christ and His sacrifice. It is blasphemy to denigrate the Ten Commandments. The commandments are a snapshot of the character and person of God. These things and other things that our society has come to accept and the church has come to accept, they're blasphemy. And blasphemy begs the wrath of God. Galatians 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. If God is real and unchanging and holy, and I believe with all of my heart that he is, those who blaspheme the Lord, Paul says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now maybe you'll get lucky as a blasphemer and you'll live out your life and it won't be so bad until you come to the end of days. Or maybe you've tested God's patience for the last time. And today will be the day that he requires your life from you. And he will separate you from him for all eternity. It's truth. I'd be held accountable by God if I didn't tell you that those who follow the Lord, those who do not follow the Lord, will be destroyed by his wrath. There is one and only one way to salvation. And that's to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent means that you wholesale abandon your guiding principles that you hold so dear and you, res- you surrender to God's policies. Repent means that to the best of your ability, you commit to following Jesus for the remainder of your days. Repent means that you realize that the word tekel replies to you, that you are in the balance. 
And that no matter how good you are and how hard you work, God will always find you wanting. And the only way to put things back in balance is to receive the free gift of salvation from God that Jesus coming to earth, living on this earth, a sinless life, died on a cross, buried in a tomb, resurrected on the third day, ascended into heaven, receive that as the gift that it is to you, and that is what puts the scales back into balance. Once again, there is no other way, period. I don't care what Oprah Winfrey says. Period. Anyone who says there's another way to heaven, to salvation, is guilty of blasphemy themselves, and they will be judged. There is only one way to salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. If you're a child of God, you can be hopeful. After that, yeah, you can be hopeful. Because all this stuff that's going on right now, all of those people at some point are going to be judged, and God is going to do away with all of that. Do you want that to happen to them? No, I want them to repent and be saved. But if they will not, then there is a sure and certain wrath that's going to be poured out. This will all come to an end one day. God will only put up with this for a season. If you've never repented of your sins and you and trusted Jesus, I hope you're a little bit afraid. I don't want to scare you into heaven, but I do want you to know what the penalty is for not trusting Christ. If he's calling out to you, don't, don't argue with him. And when you look at the scripture and you hold the scripture up against your life, don't argue with the scripture. God's only patient for a season. He's offering you a chance to be rescued. You can either receive it or not. But every person, before every person, God lays a choice. Obedience or blasphemy. The outcome of their eternity depends on that choice. It ought to scare you. It ought to wake you up. You can be saved. And if everything I said means nothing to you, now God have mercy on your soul. Let's pray. Father, you've uh, certainly given us something to think about, right? I know you don't want us to think about this forever until it becomes nothing in our minds again. I know how we are. We put something off today and then by next week it's gone and forgotten. Lord, our world wants to hear that you accept everybody as they are 
with no change whatsoever that we'll just go on being who we were to start with and we'll be that way forever. And you're just okie doke. But Lord, your word says that you are a God who sets a high bar. And all of us fall under that bar. Have mercy on us, Father. I thank you for those that you have saved. I thank you for my salvation. I pray for those, Lord, who are so deluded or unseeing, hurting, reaching out for anything they can find. Pray that they would hear the story of Jesus and the Holy Spirit would make that ring true in their heart and that they would be saved. That they can come exactly as they are and that Jesus will make them new. I look forward to the new heaven and the new earth, Lord, for a place where heartache and sin and pain are gone and I thank you that we can have a taste of that right now with the kingdom of God that lives in our hearts we love you Father thank you for your salvation in Jesus name Amen Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away.